Welcome uh, to our, our third service tonight, Good Friday uh, Observance, and, and really it's all about Jesus, as we saw right in that, uh, in that video. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, why, why do we call it Good Friday? What's so good uh, about Jesus, our, our Savior, uh, being brutally executed? Uh, why, why would we call that good? Doesn't seem like good to us, does it? So many times. I think there's something about uh, e- even a Good Friday service. We want to kind of avoid the cross. We'd rather not. Look, we'd rather run up to the empty tomb and, and not have to worry about what Good Friday really represents and what it's all about. Uh, that being said, uh, I, I don't think it's possible to really comprehend all that God's done for us just by looking at the empty tomb. I think that's why we try to kind of avoid this uh, situation uh, if we possibly can. I've heard it put this way before. You can't rejoice in the empty tomb if you haven't been to the cross first. There's no empty tomb if it weren't for the cross. And the cross is the centerpiece of all human history. It's the climax. It's the culmination of all human history. As I said, even as that video depicted everything before the cross, all throughout the Old Testament, all of human history, pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ and him sacrificing his life on the cross. Everything since then points back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Even the way that we date our calendars, just think about it, it's after the death of Christ, before Christ. Even those that don't acknowledge that Jesus was who he said he was, every time we say 2016, they're about, we're dating his life when he came to earth. And so as we start off tonight in this remembrance, celebration and remembrance of what Jesus did for us, I think it's important to look at a passage just kind of the framework of our time together in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. And it's amazing what's said here. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself, writing God's thoughts, makes this incredible statement to Christians in the church of Corinth. He said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, that is a shocking statement. Think about what Paul is saying here. He goes, I don't want to know about anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. No mention of the resurrection at all in this passage. No mention of spiritual gifts or, or anything like that. All He goes, the single most important thing that has to, we have to get this right is Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. That we understand what this is really all about. And it's pretty interesting. Later on in that passage, uh, he goes on and he says, you know, I didn't come to you, Church of Corinth. He said, I didn't come to you with, uh, with uh, eloquence or persuasive words. He said, I came to you in all humility and in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel. And what does that even point back to? This idea of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So in essence, Paul is saying in the scripture, God's word is telling us, if you don't get anything else right, get this right, Jesus Christ crucifixion. Understand how important his crucifixion really is to us today. I resolved, I chose, I decided, decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, so if you'll just allow me, I, I want to kind of uh, teach you a little bit tonight about the cross. 
Because I think for so many of us as Christians, we, we don't fully, we, we don't even begin to comprehend the reality of what took place at the cross. And there's six things that Christ accomplished on the cross. Six things that Christ accomplished at the cross through his death on the cross. And if we can just begin to kind of wrap our head around this, just begin to comprehend what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me on the cross, it'll make a huge difference in our lives today. He accomplished so much more than just dying on the cross for our sins. And so I I want to kind of, I'll, I'll give you some real uh, big theological words. You can impress your friends that, that didn't make it uh, uh, to one of our three services tonight. The first thing that Jesus did, and by the way, you want to pull out your app if you've got your church app, because this is on uh, our church app, the outline here, you can fill in the blanks, and I think you're probably, this is pretty important, you'll probably want to look back at this again. Six things that Christ accomplished at the cross. The first one is this, Jesus removed our sin and guilt. He removed it. In theology, we call this expiation. Expiation. I, 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 I bet you've never heard that word before. Expi- Jesus expiated our sin at the cross. So important. What does that mean? He removed our sin and he removed our guilt. Christ's death doesn't cover over our sin. Christ's death on the cross actually removes it, takes it completely away. The guilt of our sin was taken away from us and placed on Christ Christ, who discharged it in his death. Your guilt and my guilt. Your sin and my sin. When Jesus said it is finished, our sin was finished. When Jesus said it is finished, our guilt before God was finished completely. He expiated our guilt and our sin. In John chapter 1 verse 29, you'll remember John the Baptist said these words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Jesus came when he was 30 years old to start really his his official ministry, if you will. And, And John saw him afar off and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Doesn't cover them over doesn't just kind of put, put a little something on them so, so God can't see them for a week or two, but then they come back again. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, completely removes the sins of the world. This is what we mean in theology when we say expiation. He expiated our sins. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 puts it this way, but now once for all time, Jesus only needed to make one sacrifice. There's not an ongoing sacrifice of Jesus. One time, the Bible tells us, but now once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death and sacrifice, as a sacrifice. And you say, what do you mean by the end of the age? The end of that age. Because again, all of time pointed to the coming of the Savior. And then all time since there points back to when the Savior came and gave his life on the cross. That was the end of an age. But now once for all time he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death and his own sacrifice. So Jesus removed our sin and guilt. Second thing that Jesus did at the cross, Jesus rescinded God's wrath 
Jesus rescinded God's wrath. This is the theological word, propitiation. He was a propitiation. He took the wrath of God that you deserve, that I deserve. He took it upon himself. He took our place. He took our punishment. Jesus rescinded God's wrath. By dying in our place for our sins, Christ rescinded the wrath of God that we deserved because of our sins. Look at what Romans chapter three, verses 25 and 26 tell us about this. God sent Christ to be our sacrifice, not to be a sacrifice, not to be one of our sacrifices, to be the ultimate sacrifice. God sent Christ to be our sacrifice. Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him, we could come to God. That's why this is really the sixth message in our series tonight on Good Friday, our, 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 message, on, our message series on daring faith, because this is a daring sacrifice of Jesus, and it's all about putting our faith in that sacrifice. It doesn't do us any good if we don't place our faith in Jesus Christ and in the sacrifice that he made for our sins. It's not applied to our account unless we put our faith in him. So we put, so that by faith in him we could come before God. It's the only way that you and I can come before God is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. The Bible goes on and says, and God did this to show that in the past he was right to be patient and forgive sinners. What's that referring to? All of the Old Testament, all the lambs that were slain for the sacrifice to, to cover over temporarily the sins of people, pointing to the ultimate lamb of God, Jesus, that would come one time. By the way, that's why there's no more lamb sacrifices going on in Jerusalem today. For over 2,000 years, no sacrifices have been made. There was one sacrifice. It was the sacrifice of the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And God did this to show that in the past he was right to be patient and forgive sin sinners. This also shows that God is right when he accepts people who, who have faith in Jesus. That's how God accepts you. That's how God accepts me, when we have faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus put it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's on the basis of what Jesus did when we accept what he did for us on the cross that our Heavenly Father accepts us. So Jesus rescinded God's wrath. He took all of God's wrath, the wrath that I deserved, the wrath that you deserved for our sins. He took it upon himself. And so it's pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. You see a movie like uh, The Passion of the Christ and the brutality of the, the execution of Jesus, realizing that's what Greg deserved. That's what I deserved. That, that's what you deserve for, for even a moment of selfishness ever in your life. A moment of selfishness in my life. That's what we deserve. That's what sin cost. That my sin killed God. Your sin cost God his very life. Jesus rescinded God's wrath. As propitiation is the Bible word that's used. Third thing that Jesus accomplished at the cross was Jesus reconciled our relationship to God, our Father. 
Jesus reconciled that relationship. Because of our sins, we're alienated from God. We, we were cut off from God, disconnected from God because of sin. And Christ's death removed that alienation and reconnected us and reconciled us to God. Every single one of us, all the way back to the garden with our mother and father, Adam and Eve, when God had just one rule before there was ever sin. One rule. Adam, Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only rule. God wasn't into rules. There was only one, and they couldn't keep it. Couldn't keep it. You could eat of the tree of every other tree in the garden, but just not that one. And they fell into temptation, and they disobeyed, and they plunged all of humanity into sin, and it's infected every single one of us every single one of us, from, from moment of life, moment of conception. Jesus reconciled that broken relationship that sin caused, that disconnect, that tearing of that relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is what Romans chapter five tells us, verses 10 and 11. For since our friendship with God was restored, by the death of his son, while we were still enemies. Before we ever received Christ, this is what God did for us. When we wanted nothing to do with God, this is what God did for you, and this is what God did for me. We, were certainly, uh, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son, that God restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son as well. And then the Bible goes on and says, so now we can rejoice, look at this, in our wonderful new relationship with God. Why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Isn't that mind-blowing? God wants to be your friend God wants you and I to enjoy a wonderful relationship with him. And it's all based on Jesus' death on the cross. That's what Jesus did. He made a bridge. He reconciled us. And this is what theologically we call reconciliation. It was accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus reconciled our relationship and made us friends of God. The fourth thing that Jesus accomplished at the cross is Jesus redeemed us from captive, captivity. This is what redemption really means. Redemption means to buy back, to redeem, to buy back from someone else. Jesus redeemed us from captivity. Our sins had put us in captivity from which we needed to be delivered. The price that's paid to set someone free who's in captivity is called a ransom. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus paid the ransom for your life. Jesus paid the ransom for my life. The ransom that was owed to sin because of our sin. Jesus redeemed us from captivity and set us free. That's why I love the, the song that we just sang. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. He paid for you, and he paid for me.
with his own life. This is what Romans chapter 3 tells us. Romans 3 verse 24 says, the free gift of God's grace makes us right with him. Christ paid the price to set us free. He paid the price to set us free from captivity to sin. Apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, we can never, even as good as we want to be, we can never do one thing that will ever please God on our own. Apart from the power of God through the cross. Jesus broke the power of sin in our lives. He paid the ransom so that now we're free to choose to do God's will, or we shouldn't, but so many times we continue to choose to sin instead. But the choice is ours. Before this, we had no choice. We couldn't do anything but think of ourselves, be selfish, be sinful, do our own thing, live our own way. Redemption. Jesus bought us back. Jesus paid the price. To be redeemed from the power of sin means that our slavery to sin is broken. That, that, that we can't just say, oh, I just can't help it. We can help it now because of the power of God. Jesus broke the power of sin at the cross. We're now free to live righteously. And our redemption from the power of sin is on the basis of our ability, really, to live the holy life that God intends for you and I to live. Life the way that he meant it to be lived. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, makes this real pointed. You were bought with a price, so bring glory to God in, a way, in the way that you use your body. How about that? Bible makes it good. Jesus bought your body with his life. By the way, he didn't just buy your body. He also bought your mind. He also bought your soul. He bought everything about you with his own life and giving his own life. So what are we supposed to do? Glorify God, not just with our physical bodies, but that my body not only, it belongs to God, but everything about me, the essence of who I am. Everything that is Greg belongs to God, everything. Because I was bought with a price. And you were as well. And so we're to bring glory to God in the way that we use our body, in the way that we use our mind, in the way that we use our words, in the way that we use this life that God's given to us. He bought us back with a price that Jesus paid on the cross. Here's the fifth thing. Jesus rendered darkness defeated at the cross. Jesus rendered darkness defeated. In, in theology, we call this, he kicked Satan's butt. That's what it means. He kicked Satan's butt. He, he rendered darkness defeated at the cross. Christ's death was a defeat of the power of Satan. Look at what the Bible tells us again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. All this happened at the cross. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. In Christ. Watch what happens now. Next verse. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Did you catch that? That the Bible says there was a record of your sin that God had. 
There was a record of my sin that God had, and he nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ and took it away and separated. God, God took the record on Greg at the cross of Jesus Christ and went, tore it up because Jesus paid in full the price. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you know what that means? That, that means we're no longer guilty. So many Christians live with this guilt of things in the past because they fail to recognize the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, it was nailed, all the, all the dirty, ugly, disgusting, depraved, whatever it is that you and I have done, it was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And God tore up the list. And for some of us, I think it's time for us to tear up the list we've been keeping on ourselves. Because God doesn't remember it any longer. You know, it's interesting, even in the Psalms, King David put it this way, my sin is always before me. (laughs) He said, no one needs to remind me of my sin. It's always like right there. It's always like right in front of me. But it's not God's desire that is right there in front of us. In fact, it's pretty interesting when you read through the scripture, one of the names of Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's, that's Satan's plan for your life, to keep reminding you of your past. To keep reminding you of the list. God said, I tore it up. I tore it up at the cross. And so many Christians are living weighed down by guilt and by shame because of the past and not walking in the power of the cross. Makes sense, doesn't it, that that Paul said, I choose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That trumps everything. That trumps everything. He goes on and he put it this way. The Bible says, in this way he disarmed, this is speaking of Jesus at the cross, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. One translation says he made a public spectacle of the kingdom of darkness, rulers and authority. We're not talking about people here. We're talking about spiritual darkness. That, that Jesus made a, a, a disarm them and he shamed them publicly. When? By his victory over them on the cross. He shamed them publicly. The New Testament puts it this way. Had the, had the kingdom of darkness, the rulers and authority of darkness, spiritual darkness have known what was going to happen, they never would have crucified Jesus. They never would have crucified him. Because it's the cross that ultimately defeated them. Jesus Christ rendered darkness defeated. Think about it. Satan's only weapon that he really has ultimately is to remind you of sin that's already been forgiven at the cross. That's it. To remind you of things that God's already forgiven you through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Christ took this weapon away from him for all that would believe in Jesus, defeating him in all the powers of darkness in death. Think about it. Fast forward, Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection, which we'll talk about in our services tomorrow or Sunday, whichever one you're attending. 
And then 40 days later, he, after the resurrection, he ascended. He rose again to our heavenly father after 40 days after his resurrection. But remember what he said? Matthew chapter 28 records it for us. He had his disciples there, and before he, he, he ascended to our heavenly father, he said this, all power and authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. How could he make that statement? Because he rendered them all spiritual darkness, crushing blow and defeated them. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, instruct them to live the way that I've instructed you to. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's our responsibility to walk out that authority that Jesus gives to us because he received it all by conquering Satan at the cross. Jesus rendered darkness defeated. Now we can choose, anyone can choose to walk in darkness, choose to walk in defeat, but that's not what God wants for you. And that's not what he wants for me either. Jesus rendered darkness defeated. And here's the sixth thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus replaced you and me. Jesus replaced you and me. The theological phrase for this is substitutionary atonement. He was our substitute. He, he, he died in my place. He died in your place. And all five of the other things that we've talked about that Jesus accomplished on the cross, he did it because he replaced you. And he replaced me. He took my place. And he took your place on the cross as a substitute. We deserve to die that type of death. But Jesus took our place. And he paid the penalty for my personal sins and your personal sins himself. 700, almost 700 years before Jesus ever walked on this earth, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Seven centuries before Jesus ever walked on earth and prophesied what the Savior, the Messiah, would accomplish. That he would be a substitute, that he would sacrifice himself for his people. Isaiah 53 is a beautiful chapter. We won't take the time to read the whole thing, but just look at beginning in verse four. 700 years before Jesus ever walked on the planet. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus replaced you. Jesus replaced me. Jesus was a substitute for what we deserved. And he paid the price for our sins. And 700 years before he ever walked on earth, God said, this is the way it's going to be. I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna take the place of all humanity. And all that would receive him and place their faith in him, they're not guilty anymore. They're forgiven of everything. 
doesn't end there though. The Bible goes on and says, we all like sheep. That's every one of us. Even on our best days, we all like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way, to just being selfish. And it's all about Greg and I'm the center of everything. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. It's another Bible word for sin. The sin of us all. God laid it on Jesus because he loves you and he loves me so much. Jesus replaced you and he replaced me as a substitute, substitutionary atonement. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, last verse I want to look at tonight. The Bible tells us he himself bore our sins. Jesus himself took our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus died for you. And what he's asking for you and for me is to live for him. To give our lives living for him, to live the life, the right, the holy life that God created you for, that God created me for. By his wounds you have been healed. By the wounds, by the crucifixion, by the death that Jesus died, we've been healed of the disease of sin that infects and affects every one of us from the moment that we have life. Jesus healed us by taking our place upon the cross. Our substitute, he replaced you and he replaced me. So what is our response to the cross of Jesus Christ? What do we do, what can we do in response to such a great gift that God has given to us? And sending his son to live a perfect and a sinless life, but to die as a substitute for the death that you deserved and that I deserved because of our sins. Well, first of all, I think the first response is it's just incredibly humbling. And that's what I think is so powerful about nights like this, Good Friday. It's so humbling when we realize what God went through because he loves you and he loves me so much. And remember, it was our Heavenly Father's idea. Remember in the garden, Jesus said, is there any other way this could happen? If there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so in that humility that Jesus demonstrated, not my will, yours be done, God wants you and I to live with that humility. When push comes to shove, Lord, not my will. Lord, yours be done. Jesus died for me. Let me live for him. Not to do my will, but that yours would be done. It causes great humility when we really look at the cross and we understand what Jesus accomplished there. And then as we're humbled by the cross of Jesus, there's another thing that is so mind-blowing to me. When I take in and I remember the words of Jesus that he said to his disciples 
that kind of sums up what happened at the cross from God's perspective. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus told his disciples, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. It's the greatest of love. And Jesus loved you, and he loved me that much, that he gave everything because of the love he had and the love our Heavenly Father has for each and every one of us.